episode 109 of the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. Welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. I am on today with Aman Narang. He is the president and co-founder of Toast. Uh, we're going to talk today a bit about hybrid business models, hybrid selling models, basically hardware and software combinations and how you think about that from a sales effort. So welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Thank you. Um, before we get into the topic, tell us about you. What is, what is your story and, and your background? Sure. Um, let's see. So I grew up in um, in Rochester, New York, and uh, moved to Massachusetts in 2001 for college. And then out of school, um, joined a startup called Endeka in Kendall Square. And Endeka was an e-commerce and BI startup. Uh, spent about five or six years in engineering and product, and um, also got some feet, some perspective launching new products and uh, worked and go to market there. And then um, in 2012, 2012 we, uh, we got started with Toast. Um, and so my core, my background is in product and engineering, and uh, have gradually, you know, gotten into go-to-market uh, over time. Cool. That's great to hear. And uh, congratulations! I so you guys recently raised a very large uh, round of financing. Tell us maybe a little bit about Toast and sort of what's going on these days uh, at the company now that you've got uh, a ton of money, it seems. <laughs> sure. So, you know, the premise behind Toast was, before Toast was a, a, a platform for restaurants, um, it started off as a payments application. So the idea was, um, can you build as close to Amazon one-click shopping in a restaurant environment to check out and leave? And... Um, we launched it at a restaurant in Kendall Square in Boston, in Cambridge rather. And uh, one of the things that we we found as part of that experience was that the world of restaurant tech uh, was um, was left behind in some ways because the core point of sale platform that was running most restaurants uh, was built on Windows and on premise at these restaurants. And so uh, our vision was really to build a world where a lot of the technology was modernized such that um, applications for things like order ahead or pay at the table or loyalty um, or kiosk right could be um, could be built faster and could be brought to the world of SMB restaurants. You know, one of the things we thought a lot about was could you democratize some of the most sophisticated tech that the bigger players have uh, for all restaurants. Um, so that has been our central mission from day one and uh, has uh, helped us grow and, 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 and scale the business. So uh, since our last round of financing, we're lots going on, building a lot more products, continue to invest in our product, continue to invest in our customer success organization uh, and our go-to-market organization. So we're you know, scaling uh, all three parts of our business. That's great to hear. Um, we always ask this question last sort of introduction to you. What is one thing that no one on this podcast will probably know about you? 
One thing that no one on this podcast would know about me is probably <laughs> that uh, when I was a uh, eight year old, I spent I moved to N- Nepal, uh, a country where Mount Everest oh, wow. is, and uh, spent five years there. So it was a really good, uh, unique experience. Um, I'm assuming you went there with your your family. Yes, you didn't just yeah. move there on your own. <laughs> no, I did not. That would be terrible. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I don't think anyone knew that. Um, all right. Well, let maybe let's just jump in. So, as I said earlier, we're kind of talking about hardware and software blends. Um, and obviously, as we know, it's not as simple as traditional software sales. Um, nor is it as uh, simplistic as just selling hardware only into a company. Uh, so curious just sort of how did you guys think about each of these pieces in context from the start? Um, you know, advice or thoughts from founders in terms of hardware driving the selling of the software or is it the software driving the selling of the hardware? And maybe just lay some framework um, about the early days of Toast and sort of how you guys thought about this. Sure, sure. So if you if you think centrally about what Toast is doing, right, is we are taking um, these point of sale platforms that were typically built on um, on hardware platforms that were proprietary uh, with uh, custom software applications, right? So they've been around often. You know, even today, if you're walking to a restaurant, they're using let's say uh, Windows-based point of sale. A lot of these systems have been around for decades, right, and have matured over time. And and so for Toast to even exist. It was, uh, you know, it was it was a combination of like you know SaaS technology uh, combined with the maturation of tablet technology, frankly, because to replace a lot of these legacy touchscreens that uh, you know existed in restaurants for for a while, you really needed a tablet form factor that would work well in a restaurant. Right. So in the early days, you saw some of the iPad solutions um, uh, have some success. Uh, in, in our case, we made a bet on Android. And uh, and um, our our entire product today is built using using Android at its core. Um, for Toast, I think um, the um, you asked the question about is it the hardware driving the software or vice versa? You know, I'd say we're we're first and foremost we're a software company. You know, you look at the types of things we're doing. We're we're making it easier for operators to run their businesses in terms of being able to understand their data, in terms of being able to more efficiently turn tables, in terms of allowing their guests at restaurants to be able to order. Um, those are the types of experiences that we bring to life. And from a hardware standpoint, you know, it is, um, it just happens to be that in the restaurant environment, uh, a touchscreen is the right form factor to be able to kind of navigate and operate a restaurant. And so for us, um, tablets were a natural fit to displace uh, some of the legacy hardware that was out there. Well, I'm curious why you guys chose Android and what, can you maybe just unpack the decision-making criteria there? Because I think it's obviously relevant for folks that are going into similar spaces or in markets to think of that sort of, you know, there's sort of two games you might want to play and you kind of got to pick one, especially from the beginning. Right, right, sure. So the first, you know, the first question for us was we wanted to build a true SaaS application, right? And so the benefits of the SaaS application obviously were updates and the ability to track a lot more off of the hardware. Um, and uh, so we had the choices, the obvious choices were iOS and Android. Um, we prefer Android for a couple of reasons. One was because the, uh, the, the hardware was more, had more options and was more open. And uh, actually also the second reason was on the software side in terms of the flexibility and the openness of the OS. So, um, 
what that allowed us to do was, um, on the hardware side, you know, we could leverage lots of different form factors. We could leverage um, devices that worked in different environments. Um, we could custom build our own hardware, right, if we wanted to. Um, and uh, on the software side, again, we could take control of an Android version and customize it if we needed to. And uh, that flexibility was important to us because um, we, we wanted to take advantage, certainly, of the Android OS, but then build some specific capability um, that, we, that uh, you know, our customer base needed. Do you think, um, was there any consideration paid to sort of what the end prospect might think, or is there any sort of uh, style that you tend to see in terms of uh, uh, knowledge and appreciation of a, uh, you know, iOS-based tablet versus Android, or today do you think it's just everybody kind of knows the entire ecosystem and it isn't that big of an issue? Yeah, it's a good question. Actually, when, uh, when we first launched, one of the things we found was because iPads were more prevalent, a lot of people on Google and, and such were searching for iPad to US and they categorized us as iPad oh, to US. Wow. Yeah, so it definitely was from a, to answer your question, it definitely was a factor in that people assumed that the world of these next, genera next generation cloud systems were all based on iPads. And so we had to educate the market a bit about how Android was uh, also a viable option and uh, what some of the key differences were. Um, I think, you know, over time as you, as you, uh, as, as the market has matured, um, you know, Android certainly has, has continued a long way and, and um, continues to be, I think, the largest OS uh, in the world in terms of adoption and usage. And, uh, and so I think that's become less of a factor. Um, but even today, you know, one of the things we see is, um, is certainly from a, from a capability standpoint, we think that Android has some, some material advantages uh, because it's been customized for the restaurant uh, environment, um, the um, you know the sleekness and some of the aesthetic benefits of the iPad still play a still play a role in terms of the decision making of a restaurant in terms of which uh, hardware form factor they pick. Interesting. Um, maybe maybe just to sort of shift gears a bit. Uh, one one of the things that tends to come up when thinking about this this sort of dual uh, model. But even I think even if you lead with software like you guys did is is pricing and specifically sort of what you think about the hardware component as being um, some people charge you know the cost basis for the hardware some people don't charge at all and give it away for free um, you know maybe just some if you could give some insight into how you thought about it early on and I think it will help sort of inform a, a, you know like the next generation of folks who come after you what's the right way to think about this and how did you guys, you know, learn maybe in the beginning? Sure. I think it's, it's really different for different companies. Each company has, you know, there's, there's, there's no right answer, right, in terms of how to think about pricing. Um, and uh, for us, as we, as we launched our product, one of the early signals we got from the market was there was a lot of sensitivity on upward, upfront cost uh, in terms of, uh, switching from an existing point-of-sale platform to a modern, uh, newer system like Toast. And so our goal was to minimize right, the, the cost of entry into a Toast system. And so uh, we were relatively aggressive in terms of pricing our hardware. It was, uh, you know, um, it was not a major driver of margin for the business, frankly. And, uh, and our focus was on, on growing our, 
uh, recurring revenue stream. Um, as the businesses scaled, we have seen that um, we've seen that um, there is some flexibility in terms of uh, offering different options for customers. So, for example, you know sometimes restaurants prefer a financing option where they can take the hardware and software and finance all of it as as a single payment. Um, and so there are different ways in which uh, we've been able to kind of evolve the pricing. But for us, you know, early on, the focus was really to try to build up the software revenue and focus on uh, minimizing the cost of entry for a restaurant. And do you think it's really, it seems like it's really, hey, in, in end markets where there's significant pricing consideration, there's much more leverage to the software piece than hardware. So try and keep that hardware price as low as, as humanly possible you know, obviously relative to your own business model. Right, right. And I think it also depends on, on a, kind of, you know, what your um, um, what your hardware capability is. So for Toast, initially, uh, we were leveraging a lot of uh, consumer hardware to get off the ground. So it was Android-based, but we were leveraging a lot of hardware on Samsung, right? And then some of the interfaces for things like payment processing, uh, or mobile payments, for example, is where we kind of had to, had to accept it, but the core was still a Samsung tablet. And so for us, you know, really our core competency and our focus was on the software and the hardware. Um, it was really, you know, building on top of uh, the different platform. Um, and so as a result, it, it really did, you know, it, was, it made sense for us to, to kind of focus in on how to build, um, how to, how to build, um, a pricing model that was kind of aligned with that, um, and I think one of the things that uh, that um, that we were um, able to take advantage of is as the company scaled, right? It gave us uh, the ability to think about how can you optimize the hardware further. And so, uh, as we've gotten um, bigger, we've been able to build some custom hardware ourselves and have the economy to scale to be able to do that. Um, oh, interesting. Um, so, so you know, we, we talked a little bit about uh, software hardware considerations early on. We talked a little bit about form factor. We talked a little about uh, pricing and, and sort of go-to-market. What, what was, just, just sort of curious, what was the, the selling model of the business early on? I'm sure, you, you know, there was a lot of um, you all running around and talking to individual operators. But if you think of the frame, uh, you know, was it sort of inside sales driven in terms of, of mostly phone based selling? Was it sort of outside sales driven going and actually talking to these folks in local geographies? I mean, there's always the, there's always this sort of consideration there. And, and logically you guys are providing sort of a wider system of record or platform than a, than a point solution. So you can probably achieve a greater uh, price point, but just sort of curious how you thought about that selling model early on um, when thinking about that. We've, we've tested into a variety of different models when it comes to our selling model. We initially uh, launched we launched in Boston and uh, and had an on the ground team um, getting the word out as you mentioned and uh, getting customers on board. Um, I think the next move we made beyond the team in Boston was to start to build up our inside sales team um, and um, and we've also combined that with an outside sales team as well. The model today is for all, you know, tier one cities. Uh, typically, um, we're building out and have built out a uh, an outside team uh, to support those bigger cities, and then 
in some of the smaller markets, uh, we're supporting that through our inside team. We also have uh, some of our uh, business development work that happens uh, on the inside team as well. Got it. Cool. And ha- uh, maybe maybe just to sort of close on that. I'm curious, just because uh, this comes up a lot, you, you know, you talk about selling model, and you've got such a specific product. Who are kind of the best folks that you find to sell this? Uh, obviously, outside of of um, uh, you all as the founders. I mean, who is really that sort of first personality that came in and, and supercharged the growth in in uh, your first city? And what was kind of the profile of them? And and really, I'm curious. Did they come more out of software background or hardware background? Did they come more in an industry? Uh, you know, kind of space, like how did, how do you, how did you think about that, um, you know, in the, in the context of hardware and software in that piece? For us, we, uh, you know, to say the two, two, um, segments. So from a SaaS perspective, we've, you know, uh, for, for, for folks that have got good experience selling SaaS into SMB businesses, we've seen a lot of success. We've also seen a lot of success, uh, for people out of the restaurant industry that had a good understanding of what it takes to work and manage a restaurant often. So those are two profiles that, that uh, I'd say uh, have been the most uh, successful. Certainly with uh, you know an inside team with an outside team, there's some key differences uh, in terms of uh, what uh, works well. And for us, I'd say the one thing that jumps out for an outside sales, uh, um, sales team member is just um, its autonomy and and the ability to to you know figure things out, ask questions when necessary. Because often in these markets, you know, they're working independently, and so um, you need someone who is relatively entrepreneurial and uh, is not afraid to ask when when something comes up. Got it. I want to go back to the the comment you made. So. Uh, when you say sort of the people who came out of the restaurant space, were these people actually running uh, and operating restaurants? And did, was there a lot of sort of learnings in terms of teaching them uh, how to, you know, because naturally they, they probably hadn't sold uh, a software product or a hardware product before, right? Right, right, absolutely. So I think um, typically a lot of folks that are coming to the restaurant industry, they're GMs, they're operators, uh, you know, they can be hosts, bartenders. Uh, there's not a specific profile necessarily, but it's uh, it's, it's it's people that uh, have operated in, in the restaurant environment, understand it well, are familiar with you know what it takes to engage with uh, uh, people in the hospitality industry, and then have a, you know an interest in uh, staying close to that industry, but but uh, but uh, they wanted to get into the software sales uh, world, right? And uh, and certainly from a training standpoint, an enablement standpoint. Uh, we have invested quite a bit in helping uh, helping people get up to speed on how to think about um, managing a process, how to get familiar with systems, and um, and um, and certainly get familiar with uh, kind of our value proposition, our product. Uh, but it's a it's a relatively thorough program. We spend about uh, uh, three months of, of focused training that we work on with uh, our team, and then even within the first year. There's a lot to continue to nurture and grow um, the individuals on the team. Got it. Okay, super helpful. Um, maybe just sort of uh, so we've we've sort of narrowed in on the beginnings of the company. 
maybe just to sort of expand it and, and riff on a few different topics as you think about this blend of, of hardware and software, one of the most obvious things that comes to mind uh, is the competition in and around this category. And so I'm just, I'm just curious sort of how you guys thought about the, you know, legacy vendors. Micros is obviously a huge uh, legacy business that's, that's been in and around this space forever. Um, maybe just sort of entrepreneurs that are out there listening and saying, you know, wow, this is insane that they've been able to sort of outcompete these folks and, and take a piece of the market share. Um, was it really because of the hardware? Was it really because of the software? Like sort of how did you think about early competition with most of these very large companies and then, and then sort of what you've learned over time in terms of beating them? Sure. Good question. You know, for us, they talked a little bit earlier about um, how it started. And uh, um, the premise early on was literally there was a restaurant that uh, my co-founders, Steve and John, and I used to go to called Fire and Saints. Uh, this is a restaurant in Kendall Square in Cambridge. And, um, you know, a common problem that all of us still have today, actually, is let's say it's a Friday night and um, you're waiting for your check, right? If I'm really busy, it can take five or ten minutes to just get the server, right, to give you your check. And then the process to actually be able to pay and, and leave you know, can end up taking 15 or 20 minutes. And so initially the value, the, the capability we built was just a application to make it easy to order and pay at restaurants. And as part of that experience, one of the things that we learned was um, the technology ecosystem in restaurants was still uh, primarily uh, leveraging on-premise uh, point-of-sale platforms as their system of record to run these businesses. And so you know, one of the most basic questions we asked ourselves was, is there a good reason why a lot of this technology right, hadn't been modernized, hadn't been, uh, hadn't been moved to the cloud? And, uh, and that was one of the early drivers for you know, getting Toast off the ground. Um, in terms of uh, competing in the space uh, against some of the legacy players, you know, I think one of the things that we quickly realized from a market segmentation perspective is uh, given the way we were going to go to market, um, we, we felt it was important that we could compete against these platforms in a variety of different types of contexts, right? So if you look at the world of restaurants, there's about, depending on who you ask, between six and 800,000 restaurants. And, um, and for the, for the segment of the market where you had something very simple that you needed, like a cash register, for example, right? That's where, frankly, Square had done a good job of, of building something um, that met that market need. But for everything beyond that, uh, we felt that it was a great opportunity to, to build a platform that, uh, that was able to kind of capture some of that market. And, uh, and so we spent a lot of time building a platform that had a lot of capability that could support these more complex restaurants, be it in terms of the number of units they had, the volume of revenue they had, uh, et cetera, and uh, the, the size of the employee base they had. And, um, and so that was, that was really a focus early on for us. And once we got, once we got uh, off the ground uh, with our first five or ten customers, uh, because we had you know, built this technology using, using a more modern OS and Android and, uh, um, and a modern cloud-based backend, uh, frankly, it was uh, for a lot of the operational workflows these restaurateurs depended on, right, it was uh, relatively obvious from the product that you know, we had um, a better way to do things in terms of being able to run their businesses 
uh, more efficiently and more effectively. Got it. So it's almost, as I hear you talk about it, it's almost identifying, um, don't, don't go head to head from the start, identify a market segment, in your case, a, a more, a more complex, um, uh, running operation and sort of build there before you really sort of get into the wider, uh, piece, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. That's definitely, I think, uh, generally speaking, the, if you can have a narrow focus early on, uh, that helps you, uh, really refine a product for a very specific subset of customers versus, uh, um, trying to maybe go too wide. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Um, maybe shifting away from, from competition, something that, that we've kind of talked a lot, uh, with our founders and we, something that sort of, uh, you know, we've seen, especially you guys take this approach was sort of the, the pricing page as, uh, view, the, the view there is the sort of fixed monthly cost, um, and then some fee for hardware. Do you really recommend that as an approach? Um, and really in terms of your website, does that sort of the highlight of that kind of cheaper price do you find from a marketing and a lead gen standpoint tend to work? I'm sure you guys have tested this a ton. Um, and so what I'm specifically talking about is you, you, you come to a pricing page and you see it, you know, per month, and then you sort of leave out the, the inclusion of the hardware fees and stuff like that. Um, has that been successful? And, and how, how do you think about sort of maybe pricing today in that sense? And, and obviously knowing you want to sort of build a much more, uh, a much quicker, uh, uh, you know, sort of funnel through that process. Just, just curious how you think about pricing pages and, and where you guys have gone and what you are at today. Yeah, for us on the pricing side, we have um, we've tested quite a bit, and it's funny you ask. We're actually in the middle of testing a few things as we speak. Um, I think for for a lot of our customers, the the um, when they look at Toast as a platform, right, and they look at the way our hardware um, is priced compared to um, what's traditionally been the cost of buying a point of sale system, um, they're actually very pleasantly surprised with. Uh, with um, just how cost effective they are. And, uh, and often on the software, I think that's where, you know, there's some questions in terms of, of understanding all the different ways in which that can be configured based upon how big a restaurant it is and how many devices you're using and which modules you're using in the platform. So you've got a few different packages you can leverage there. And, um, and so for us, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's been the right approach to share on the software first because of the hardware um, it is um, already very competitive and different than, than what's out there in the market. We've tested a few different formats on, on our site and have found that uh, I think leading with software certainly is, 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 uh, is, is a better approach. Adam, can you maybe just back up and tell the listeners how, how, would, how did the industry use the product? Like if I was a restaurant operator and I wanted a, a, a full system of record in terms of uh, a comparative product. How was that? How did that used to be priced, or what? What does that look like if I'm not buying toast? Sure. So historically speaking, and this is certainly evolving, right? As the industry is evolving, but historically speaking, yep. if you think about like buying toast versus buying a legacy platform. It's, it's not very different than buying Salesforce.com versus you know a uh, on-premise CRM platform, let's say. I see. Right? Okay. Uh, yeah. So if you're buying a legacy platform, you're paying for the hardware. The install you're paying for, which is the setup you're paying for, um, you know the software license fee, 
typically, you know, all up front, and then you're buying it, and since it's on-premise and installed, right, um, you know, you don't kind of get some of the benefits of, of the upgrades and and um, and, uh, and the new versions of that platform as things change. It's almost like you're buying the product and the, um, the hardware and the software at one time. Got it, got it. Okay. That's helpful. Um, last sort of bucket of questions before we sort of take it back to 30,000 feet. Um, talk to us a little bit about the hardware piece specifically. Do you ever let folks use their own? Um, how should a founder be? I'm sure you guys have a lot of learnings around this. Um, and then, you know, kind of there's this constant sort of approach that we tend to see of the hardware is sort of dumb and the software is the, the uh, smart. And so do you find that people really value that uh, approach and it's where sort of the market is sitting today where, hey, I don't really care. The, you know, the, you guys can make a decision on the form factor and all this kind of stuff as long as I get a great user experience and the software is very powerful. Um, that, that sort of is the driver of purchasing decisions. So, anyways, yeah, do, do, you know, can people use their own stuff? Is what, what advice did you have there? And then, uh, and then, sort of the mentality of the buyer in terms of leading with software. Yeah. So, you know, I think you have to be really careful about um, a, the proliferation of hardware that your software is running on over time. Um, when we first launched, right, there was a lot of enthusiasm from our customer base because they're like, oh, I've got an Android phone. Can I run, you know, test on it? And at times we're flexible, right? Where we said, yep, sure, we can we can get you up and running on your phone and, and now you can run your business, right, and track your business really more than anything else at home or anywhere that you are uh, on your phone. And um, I think one of the things that you have to appreciate is that as you start to scale, right, like for Toast, we've got tens of thousands of devices, um, it's not easy supporting right, lots of different hardware form factors that scale with the number of restaurants that you have, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and you've also got to think about the life cycle of the hardware because right, the hardware has um, a life cycle, and uh, as you get past one, two, three, four, five years, right, there is, um, you've got to kind of get into a cadence in terms of how you're going to support and upgrade and manage it. And so, um, I think the one learning lesson that, that I'd share is, is just to be thoughtful about about um, how many different hardware uh, versions and devices uh, you, you you know you're you're willing to support, um, and uh, just being sensitive to kind of the complexity of that. Um, for us on the, uh, the 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 hardware side, we we as I mentioned initially kind of standardized on, on the Samsung platform, and then over time. Um, have um, have found just better commercial grade hardware for the restaurant environment um, uh, using devices from Elo that's uh, allowed us to kind of really track in more in more detail and more depth just the health of the hardware as well um, and, uh, and and so we've gradually gone to a more specific set of devices um, that we support um, and the other thing on on the um, on the hardware us was I think it to be really thoughtful about when it makes sense to, to, to customize and maybe purpose build hardware because that trade-off can be can be tricky right because I think when you're building hardware on your own it's 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 often a very specific core competency to do that well and it took us almost five years to really get in the game and say you know for um, for a handheld solution we're going to offer our own hardware uh, in the market that can build that can offer a very specific experience that, that we want to bring to the market. 
Yeah, it must be a really challenging thing early on because you want to be inviting and open in terms of your ecosystem, but it's and but and, and get narrow over time, which is sort of what you guys did. But then you also don't want to have to deal with sort of to your point, um, random people asking you, "Hey, can I use this on my Android phone?" and you don't have that built out yet. Um, yeah. So, ha- so I mean, would you suggest sort of, "Hey, listen, pick your pick your sort of you know." hardware wisely from the start and really stick to that and, and control that because if you don't, it's just going to get kind of out of control or what? Yeah. I think it really just depends on your use case and in terms of what you are trying to do with the hardware. Um, but I directly would agree that, you know, I think limiting your hardware is, is generally a good thing if you can um, because in our case, right, you've got, you've got things like mobile payments, you've got things like uh, uh, accepting accept, accepting credit cards and and so there are very specific use cases where the core hardware needs to be right needs to be extended to be able to support uh, what a point of sale platform needs to be able to do and uh, and so um, for us it was that was a very specific requirement that we had to think about um, there may be other use cases and applications where uh, the dependency on the hardware in terms of of interfaces that need to plug into it to uh, collect data, for example, or to provide a specific user interaction, uh, if there's a more limited scope, maybe you can offer uh, a wider choice of hardware. But I think it really just depends on, on what the hardware is uh, accomplishing um, for your use case. Perfect. Um, all right, maybe just sort of last question to take it back to 30,000 feet. You know, we've talked about pricing, we've talked about go-to-market, we've talked about form factor, we've talked about customization, competition. I mean, if you guys sort of look back and reflect on all the success, what do you think are kind of the three or four things that you absolutely nailed or you would definitely recommend when taking this kind of dual approach of of hardware and software? Sure. I think one of the things, if you look at a lot of these startups and companies that are looking at both hardware and software, um, you know, the, the, all the value proposition, right, is that the hardware is making the software better and, and uh, the software is in, in turn doing the same thing for the hardware uh, in terms of the types of applications and use cases you can bring to the market. I think one thing that, that just, just to reiterate what I said earlier is, you know, building custom hardware, right, is an expensive and often difficult value proposition, a difficult challenge. I think at least that's what we found. And so, uh, for us, as, as three of us, the founders and the early team that we kind of worked with, you know, our core competency really was, uh, you know, building software. And so um, we recognized that early on and, you know, worked hard to figure out how you can, um, you can uh, leverage hardware that's available and repurpose it and repackage it as opposed to having to build uh, something uh, on our own uh, from scratch. I think that over time, um, the um, hardware can actually be an advantage too, because um, if you look at the restaurant environment, for example, um, if you have any level of complexity, take a bar, for example, um, that has um, you know a, a lot of volume, uh, using a um, you know a Samsung tablet um, at uh, in those environments can be difficult just because of the the, the environment that these tablets are in. Where you've got lots of liquid, you've got uh, you know just a very high throughput, and uh, and so uh, for us over time it was important that we be able to shift from offering hardware that was 
consumer-grade hardware to something that was purpose-built for restaurants. But we were fortunate that we could make that transition over time as we got into different segments and different, different, uh, different, different verticals. Um, and, um, and so that was, I think, one, one important lesson, which is, which, is, um, which is we were able to um, leverage our portal to find specific providers that were willing to work with us that I think, frankly, early on may not have been uh, as, uh, as open to working with us. Uh, in terms of, um, I think one of the other things to think about is um, when you get hardware out in the field, it's, uh, it's important that right from the beginning you build capability into your software to have good tracking on that hardware because um, as you start to get a lot of devices out in the field, right, you're going to see failure rates. And so um, being able to understand what's going on, uh, being able to be proactive about it, in fact, was an area that I thought gave us an edge in the market where it was simple things like, you know, if you want to track the failure rate in the case of Toast uh, for a credit card reader that is attached to a tablet or a printer that was trying to print off of uh, uh, the tablet or it was um, the ability to, um, you know, send a check to a kitchen where there was you know, connectivity to the network. Uh, being able to track a lot of that in the cloud gave our team uh, visibility and confidence in being able to solve those problems quickly and efficiently, uh, which is critical in a restaurant environment, right, because it's really a system that is the OS, the central nervous system of these restaurants. Um, and so the tracking uh, that was built into the software uh, was a crucial piece for us. I think those are some of the big ones that come, you know, that come to mind as I think about like, what was important for us early on. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. Um, we sincerely appreciate it. Um, and uh, yeah, just we'll sign off now. Thank you for downloading this Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast.
Bowery Capital is a business software-focused venture capital firm specializing in helping our founders build initial revenue traction. For more information, please visit us online at BoweryCap.com backslash blog.